You've probably noticed that you, like us, have a lot more subscriptions and memberships these days than you did five years ago. It's a trend that many of us have experienced in our own purchasing decisions, but is it one that perhaps your organization would benefit from too? On this episode, what leaders should know if their organization is considering memberships or subscriptions. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 484. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. Leadership, of course, is so much about relationships. And one of the most important relationships for leaders to be thinking about is the relationship that we have with our customers, clients, stakeholders, and anyone else that the organization's mission is designed to serve. Today, a look at how that relationship is changing a bit around business strategy, and particularly how many of us have seen, not only in our own organizations, of course, but in the organizations that we are partnered with, of how things are moving a bit to the membership and subscription economy. I'm so glad to welcome today Robbie Kelman-Baxter to the show. She is an expert on helping organizations really make the transition to consider how memberships and subscriptions may be a part of creating a wonderful customer experience. Robbie brings over 20 years of strategy consulting and marketing expertise to Peninsula Strategies, her firm that's focused on helping companies leverage subscription pricing, digital community, and freemium to build deeper relationships with customers. Her clients have included startups and mid-sized venture-backed companies, as well as industry leaders such as Netflix, Oracle, Electronic Arts, and eBay. Robbie has been quoted on business issues in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Consumer Reports, and many other places. She has created and starred in eight video courses in collaboration with LinkedIn Learning on business topics ranging from innovation to customer success and membership. She is the author of The Membership Economy, a book that has been named a top 10 marketing book of all time by Book Authority, and she recently released her new book, The Forever Transaction, How to Build a Subscription Model So Compelling Your Customers Will Never Want to Leave. Robbie, I'm so glad to meet you. It's great to be here, Dave. Thanks for having me. Boy, the world has really changed on this, hasn't it, in the last few years? seems like you know there was a time that Netflix and Spotify were the only ones who were doing subscriptions. And then all of a sudden, everything changed. What changed in the last five or 10 years? Yeah. So it's funny, you know, I, I, you mentioned that I, I wrote The Membership Economy five years ago. And when I wrote it, I wrote it because I was seeing this massive change in, in business. I had worked with Netflix. I'd worked with Intuit's uh, Pay Cycle, which is, you know, a, a subscription for small businesses. I'd worked with SurveyMonkey. I'd worked with a lot of different subscription businesses. And I could see the power of the model, not just of the subscription pricing, but of the whole mindset that focuses on the long-term relationship to justify recurring revenue. And it seemed like nobody else was seeing what I was seeing. And so I wrote the membership economy to say, look, this is a massive trend. It's relevant to the smallest of businesses, the solopreneurs and the subject matter experts and the small business owners. It's relevant to the biggest businesses, 
like Unilever, who has Dollar Shave Club, uh, or Microsoft, who's moving very aggressively to subscription first or subscription only, and nonprofits and for-profits. My point was, and you can do it too, and it's really great because you get recurring revenue, you get to know your customer better, it's much more motivating for employees to work toward a long-term goal of a customer, and when the time comes to sell your business, subscription businesses enjoy valuations, valuation multiples of five to seven times other businesses. Wow. And so, you know, so five years ago, I was trying to convince people of this. Five years later, everybody gets it. We've all seen kind of the meteoric rise of, as you mentioned, Netflix and Spotify. We've seen the power of uh, Amazon Prime in retail. Um, you know, five years ago, people said, oh, retail doesn't really work for membership or subscription unless it's just a points program, like a loyalty program. Yeah, That's changed. There's subscription boxes. And everybody is seeing that, that multiple. If you talk to investors on Wall Street, you know, they're talking about this concept, uh, what they're calling some of the parts valuations, where they're saying, hey, look, executives, even if you have a tiny part of your organization that is using subscription pricing, we'll give that part of your business a better valuation than the rest of your company. So please move in that direction. And I think those trends are driving this massive move. There's so much change happening in the world right now, of course, with COVID and the pandemic. And I one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you is because I know that there are leaders in organizations right now thinking, okay, we've seen this trend happening around us, and maybe we've done a bit of it, maybe we haven't, but we want to move more in this direction because this is the way that the world is going, uh, at least in a lot of places. And yet it is, um, there's a lot of things that can go wrong in trying to think about this. And I, I think sometimes people come to this conversation, they think like, okay, we need to put together our subscription model. Let's do that this week <laughs> and not really think, <laughs> think about yeah. kind of the, and especially now where there's so much happening so quickly, there's the tendency to just throw something together. And I'm one of the reasons I wanted to chat with you is to really help us to take a step back and to think about this a little more proactively. But also, maybe even you really su- suggested to me in our preparation for our conversation is even if a subscription model isn't right for your organization. It sounds like there's a lot that we can do to just change our mindset on looking at things more toward the long term, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. So what I see happening with a lot of organizations is they see that the world is moving toward this, you know, subscription based approach, digital community, all of this stuff. And they have a vision often of this is what we could look like if we completely moved that way. You know, we'd have this ecosystem of members, they'd stay, they'd help each other, we'd keep growing. But then they go back to where they are today and they say, wow, that's daunting. How do we get there? And one thing I'd like to just suggest to to people is to start with your forever promise to your customers. So, So as you said, take a step back and say, what is it that our customers are really coming to us for? What is it that they wish we could help them with even more than we do already? So, so for example, let's say that you sell appliances for kitchens, right? The, the real wish is I want to have a modern kitchen that's really fun and efficient to cook in and to be with my family and friends in, right? So what else could that organization do if the goal is to help people get more out of their cooking time? 
right? Or if you're in the, let's say if you're in the professional services business and maybe you provide consulting engagements, people say, well, the real thing I want is I want to stay on the cutting edge of my space or the cutting edge of marketing and I want to make good decisions. And then you can go back kind of from that point, once you have, what is that promise that my customers wish I would make to them? And then say, how would I layer in that kind of value? How would I change how I communicate? How would I change how I support my customers? And you can do all of that without changing your pricing structure. And that's a really good place to start. It's like, instead of focusing on, you know, what I would call quarterly capitalism, hitting that number, it's taking a longer range view and using that customer promise, that forever promise as your North Star. One of the things you write is it can be tempting to bundle existing products and features under a membership banner, but this muddies the value proposition for your prospective customers. And I'm thinking about that in the context of what you just said of this tendency sometimes to kind of put something together and to start with what you're already doing. But what I'm hearing you say is actually take a step back first and think about that forever promise. What do your best customers need from you? What do they want from you? How can you serve them in the best way? And you start there first. And then the yeah. kinds of products and services that come out of a membership or a subscription then then that's the second, that's the tactical decision after the promise is really there. Yeah, it's about shifting your gaze from being either sales centric, so kind of focusing on your quarterly number and doing whatever it takes to get there, even if it, you know, stymies your chances for future growth, or a product mindset, which is what you described, which is I have this stuff, I have these offerings I already have, let's just bundle them together and throw a price on it. Versus a customer-centric approach, which is to say, we're going to focus on who they are, know them really well, what is it that they're trying to accomplish, and what all can we do to help them get there using our expertise and our skills and our resources to help them achieve their goal. I'm guessing for the organization or leader who hasn't done much of that in the past and engaged in much of that thinking that that's a that's a stopping point often to making a good transition with this. I'm curious, when you see organizations do that, take the step back and make that transition a bit better, what's a good starting point for thinking that way? Yeah, so I can give you an example, Electronic Arts, which is you know very successful video game company. And historically, the way that they've sold their games is you know buy the franchise in a box. So you can buy FIFA or you can buy, you know, any number of different titles, right? FIFA, The Sims, which are completely different games, but you can, you can buy it. It's about 60 bucks and then you play it and then maybe you buy the next version of it when it comes out. And what they've done is they did exactly what we just described. They took a step back and said, what would it look like if we were truly, and this is how Andrew Wilson, their CEO, describes it, player first, what would it look like if all the decisions we made in our organization were player first? And that was the first step, right? What does it look like for the player? What are they trying to do? You know, they're trying to, to have fun, to engage with their friends, to be kind of inspired, distracted, fully engaged in something that's fun, and also to be able to demonstrate mastery and have a sense of belonging with their friends, right? That's why we play games, right? It's yeah. Part of it is about 
the fun of playing, but part of it is about the connection with other people and part of it is about the status. And so they looked at that and they they started to build, you know, first they looked at that with their current products and then they've started to build an experiment with various subscription models off to the side with each one being kind of progressively large and risky and closer to the center of everything that they do. Subscriptions are still a pretty small part of their overall business, but the mindset and the ethos is really permeating the whole the whole organization. I'm thinking about that and I think sort of the first place people would go when thinking about that is okay, we have all these products and that people normally would buy as a one-off thing and the subscription just gives us access to all of them or however many of them and we charge a monthly or or annual membership or whatever. It sounds like they've been a little more thoughtful, though, of just rather than going that way. What kinds of things have emerged that have been beyond just you know bundling the products that have that have come out of that creative thinking? Yeah. So when you're when you're thinking about this, what what I see with organizations, and not just EA, but a lot of different organizations, is you you know a lot of times there's a temptation to sort of start with the marketing, right? How do we communicate? How do we talk about our value? But then it goes into the product itself. So what kind of product, you know, the product that justifies subscription pricing might look different than a product that you buy transactionally. So, so here's an example. Let's say, you know, I love Harry Potter, right? There are seven Harry Potter books, right? The average person, I think, inhales the Harry Potter books in a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. So if J.K. Rowling came up with a subscription where you had access to the full catalog of Harry Potter books, which is seven books, Right. The vast majority, especially of, you know, I don't know if you have any preteens who who love Harry Potter, but I mean, they would inhale those books in less than a month. Yeah. So you would only get one month of revenue and people might not want to keep subscribing just to have that same access to those seven books. I would guess if they loved the books, they'd want to own the books. And if they loved the idea, you know, the kinds of content, the fantastical worlds that she can create, they would want more content. And so just taking the seven books and saying that's a subscription would not be successful, but maybe taking a focus on the wizarding world of Harry Potter, that becomes a really interesting subscription and in fact is what they've done, right? They have this uh, membership they call the Harry Potter fan club where you get access to a lot of different things to maximize your enjoyment of this wizarding world. Oh, fascinating. And one of the things I've seen a bit just looking around our space and our industry is it seems like for a lot of the subscription membership models that there's a bit of a move beyond just content. Uh, it seemed like years ago when there were membership models, it was just you know access to content or access to a product. And it, a lot of times it seems like there's now something beyond that too. There's a community aspect to it. There's an engagement. There's a relationship aspect to it. Is that a trend that organizations are looking at and engaging in more widely? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think about it as packaging of the value. So if I come to you, Dave, because I want to be a better leader, right? I might start by listening to your podcast, but then I might decide, you know, actually, I want to go deeper. I want to, I actually want to talk to Dave directly because I actually have some very specific questions about my own situation And I would like to get his thoughts based on all of his wisdom and experience. I don't want to just hear the more generalized podcasts. Or maybe I want to immerse myself 
for a few days and just do the leadership thing, right? That might be a conference or a retreat. And maybe I want to read his book or I want to read a book from the organization. Maybe I want to do a class where I'm actually being graded on my work and maybe get a certification so I can demonstrate to other people that I have some competency in particular areas. So you can see that all of those different things that I described, they deliver on that same promise, right? I want to be a better leader, but the packaging is different and achieves different ends. So an organization that is focused on that promise can kind of unlock all this creativity in terms of how to deliver. Like you said, it could be about the community. It could be about the medium, you know, print, digital, video. It could be about in-person versus digital. It could be about, you know, certification versus not. It could be about consulting. You know, I could even say, you know, I just want you to go and, you know, teach me how to do it. Mm. You know, I want private lessons. So all of those things are are possibilities. You know, same thing with the Harry Potter example, right? I, I might enjoy reading the books. I might enjoy listening to J.K. Rowling talk about why she wrote them and how she wrote them. I might enjoy going to the theme parks, right? I might enjoy you know, seeing fan fiction, uh, you know, where, uh, you know, that's the concept where, you know, fans write their own stories using the same characters and worlds, but, you know, developing their own stories. All of that adds to that promise of, I want to get the most enjoyment out of the wizarding world. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. And uh, it's funny, you mentioned some of the things we've done with our academy community, just in our our work. And I think about this in the the kinds of people who want to engage there, either whether it's leadership or Harry Potter or electronic arts, the kinds of folks who are going to really be attracted to that are really the best customers for the organization yes. and the wonderful ambassadors. And you're so intentional in your work on really inviting leaders to think about speaking to their best customer and distinguish between who's going to be that best customer and who's not. For the people who haven't thought a lot about that, where do you? help organizations to start thinking about drawing that distinction between your best customer and and everyone else who shows up? So this is a really easy, fun exercise that you can do with your teams right now, any going concern, any business that's been around for a while. Write down a list of your best customers, just some of the people whose names come to mind if if, if you're able to do that, or a description of what you think are your best customers. And then describe your not best customers. And I always make the distinction between a not best customer and a worst customer. Because worst customers are weird edge cases, right? The the person who stole, the person who, you know, wants to use your product in a way that you never intended for it. So, for example, I always joke that, like, if I walked into McDonald's with my husband and I'm wearing a gown and I say, you know, put me in your finest table. We are celebrating our anniversary. We'd like a bottle of the finest champagne. And actually, I have some allergies. And I'm really hoping you can do something nice with a piece of fish. Uh, right? They uh, would laugh at me. Right? right? They right. would, If they were feeling generous, they'd say, you know, there's actually a really lovely restaurant down the street. And that might serve your needs better. And if they weren't, they'd just laugh me out of the store. Because they're so confident of who they serve. And so... The exercise that I would suggest is you take your best customers and then you take your what I would call your not best customers, which are people who, you know, on the surface, they're pretty good customers. They pay you. They they use your products the way they were intended, but they don't have the highest lifetime value or they only use a subset of your offerings or 
they don't interact with you or they don't get the value or they're not able to pay for the services where they say, I'd love those services, but I'm not willing to pay for them. So your best customer are the people who are using your products and services well, who are willing to pay a fair price and they believe that they're getting more value than they pay for. And maybe, as you pointed out, they're willing to be or they've already demonstrated that they're ambassadors of your brand and of your products. And then you want to develop some hypotheses by looking at those two groups and saying, what are the differences? And so you might say, well, gosh, our best customers all seem to have come through the same channel, right? Or our best customers seem to all come in with the same specific problem. And that's the first thing they do with us. You know, if if they come into the, you know, into um, your academy, it might be, you know, they're all coming in because they just got promoted, or they're all coming in because they just had to fire someone for the first time and it was horrifying and they want to be better. But understanding how they came in and what were the first things they did. And so anyway, you make a list of all of these hypotheses that you have. And then you look at those customers and you try to see which of the hypotheses are borne out by the data you have available. And you start to get really precise about who your best customer is. Then go back and look at all your offerings and say, what would we change? if we were really going to optimize everything we did to get on board and retain more best customers and to be maybe a little less attractive for the not best customers. Uh, interesting. And that's where then the forever promise starts to emerge, right? The things that you really see that yeah. are unique to the best customers, that that starts to build that, the how can we best serve those people? How can we make a promise to them? That's that's where to, That's where to really lean in. Yeah. And there's a, here's a sort of a funny example in the B2B space. You know, one of the things that we learned with, with one client that I worked with was when we, when we made those lists of best customers and not best customers. And, you know, the whole leadership team was like looking at the wall and saying, okay, these are some of our best customers. These are some of the customers that have just never really been as good as we had imagined or as we'd hoped. They, they didn't expand as quickly. They didn't, they don't use all of our features. They don't come to our events. They don't give us a lot of feedback and some of them cancel, you know, they don't, they don't stay on maybe past the first or second year. The customer success woman started laughing when she looked and she said, oh my God, she's like the best, the ones that you guys have in the best customer column are all of my most difficult onboarding accounts. Huh? That was so counterintuitive. We're like, wait, the worst ones for you are the best ones for the organization. And what we realized was those were the ones that asked her the really hard questions and pushed back and called her at home on the weekend and yelled at her when features weren't ready on time because they were actually really serious about implementing the software. Uh Um, A lot of times in SaaS, you know, somebody buys it and then the people who are supposed to use it aren't that serious about using it. And so no one really cares, right? So they're very easy to onboard because when you call them and say, how are things going? They say, oh, fine, because they don't really want to talk about it because they're still doing things the old way. But when, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, Dave, where you're trying to really engage in using a new tool and it's hard, you know, you have a million questions and you call a lot and you complain. You're like, I don't get it. I don't understand. I need... I really need to understand this because I am using it tomorrow for a very high stakes event, right? And suddenly you're really fully engaged. And if you can get over, you're willing to endure the friction to get to the other side. Oh, wow. And so that's, you know, I think in the world, like in your world, those might be the people who, you know, ask you a hundred questions, who, 
who say, you know, hey, you said you had this resource and I looked for the resource and the resource wasn't there or it, it didn't fully answer the question like you said it would and I still have a question. Those are people who are really counting on you and they're going to push you. Not only are they going to be great customers in terms of paying you regularly and getting value and, you know, all of that, but they're going to be your advocates and they're also potentially going to be the ones that help guide you forward in terms of what the next right product or the next right feature should be. They're going to be your kind of bleeding edge customers who help guide you forward. This is huge. And there's two big things that are coming up for me on what you just said. One is the power of the exercise that you are inviting us to do of to go through and make those two lists so that we start to unearth some of those things that we may not see if we don't think about who's our best customer uh, or not. And the customer service example is just brilliant at that of like the thing that one part of the organization may see as a pain point actually is an indicator that people are engaging in a much more consistent way long term. And then you mentioned just me and I was thinking about my own experience with our customers and our academy members is because we have a long-term view, because we do annual memberships for our programs, it's a joy. It's really a joy to spend that time and to answer questions and to hop on and do those extra consults and calls sometimes that, that aren't formally part of the program. Because we as a business and I as, as an organization know that it's in service of the longer term relationship and and we've seen that play out so many times that i don't i don't worry about it at all like oh we spend you know i'm going to spend an extra hour this week or whatever it's just the mindset of that from a business standpoint of just the investment it's just so different for me yeah exactly and and something to think about is you know for most of us for mo- you know and you know for most employees it's way more fun to work with customers who are getting value from you. It just is. It's more inspiring. Even when there's a lot of work, you know, if you know they're counting on you and they really are going to use your products well, that is, you know, certainly your point. I mean, it's it's great for business. Like you're like, oh, this customer is going to stay for a long time. But it also just feels good to work with people who are getting value for what they're paying for. And, you know, when I give keynote speeches, a lot of times I'll end with what I call the membership economy pledge. And it ends with never, ever, ever hide the cancel button. Mm. And the logic there is, you know, who, first of all, who wants to be in a business where you're making money because people aren't able to get out of their agreement with you, even though they want to. And from the customer side, if, if I'm paying for something that I don't want because I can't get out of the agreement, you know, the chances of me being a referral source or ever coming back to you is about zero. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that is the tendency of some organizations. And I am curious on some of the tactical things too, of just things that are the common mistakes and to avoid. And one of the things you remind businesses is beware treating members worse than the strangers <laughs> who are showing up for the first time. And there is the tendency sometimes to exclude some of the best products and services or like we all get these mailers from our banks and utility companies of like if you're a new customer you get this wonderful perk and benefit and we get those in the mail we think like well i've been a customer for 10 years like why don't i get that benefit yeah it seems like that that mistake is made a lot yeah so this one's really controversial actually so i'll just you know put my put my cards on the table here on this one my belief is that 
in a subscription model, you want your customers to feel that they can trust you and that you're going to take that the company is going to take care of them in return for their loyalty. You keep paying me, I'll keep giving you the best I've got and thinking proactively about what else I can do for you. And when you reward either the, the people who come later or the people who threaten to cancel, what you're doing is you're teaching your most loyal customers that they're stupid if they don't threaten to cancel or don't pay attention to what new people are getting so that they can leave and come back and get the, you know, the free toaster or whatever. I'm saying it's controversial because in the world of pricing, there is evidence that some customers are going to be more loyal than others and that by segmenting them out and offering different incentives to the more difficult customers, you might maximize your revenue. And, and, you know, and they have lots of caveats around that about, you know, well, but you don't want to cheat them and this and that. And, you, you know, you want to be able to explain it if they happen to notice. But for me, I feel like that adds this kind of weird, duplicitous vibe in your model where you're like, well, you know, they are my most loyal customers. So I'm going to sl- treat them slightly less good because, I'm going to allocate resources to my more difficult customers so that I can keep them too. Yeah, it it lands weird with me too, and so yeah. I'm, I'm I'm with you on this. And it's uh, it is it is interesting that there's some data to the contrary. Um, and yet, boy, you know, uh, sometimes it's not just I shouldn't say sometimes, almost always, it's not just about the numbers, right? It's about the relationship. And if yeah. we are if we're thinking about our best customer first. In the long run, it seems like that always works out well, right? You know? Right, exactly. And the other, I mean, there's a lot going on. You know, a lot of this pricing stuff comes out of, you know, newspapers, right? Where, you know, you and your next door neighbor both get your papers dropped off, but you were a subscriber for five years and they're a new subscriber. And so they may be enjoying, you know, first year is, you know, a dollar a week or a dollar a month. And the second year is $5 a month you know, that kind of thing where it goes way up, you know, the longer you've been there, but you never got that intro offer. The chances of us standing out at the end of our driveways and comparing notes about how much we're spending on our on our newspapers is very small. But if we find out that one of us is paying a lot more than the other, even though we're getting the exact same service, that's going to make us feel not very good. Yeah. As there's, you know, it's easier to to compare these days because everything's online. It is. And it's harder to come back from. I, years ago, I worked for a business where a lot was done around incentives to get customers in the door. And it kind of we kind of shot ourselves in the foot as an organization because no one would come in the door unless that those promotions were going <laughs> after a while. Right. Um, right. Well, you get to that point. I mean, you see a lot of telcos with this where it's like, Oh, you know, friends will say to each other, you know, don't sign up unless they're offering you at least one year free or, or, or friends will say, Hey, you know, I just called and threatened to cancel and I got 10% off. So then you feel like, well, I'm an idiot. If I don't call and threaten, I guess that's what people do. We're supposed to call and threaten. And it's, there's something that's a huge relief when you find out that everybody's paying the same thing. There's no need to negotiate. There's no need to threaten. There's no need to wait until the thing goes on sale. The product is so good and so consistent that it's always the same. And that's what, honestly, what Netflix does. 
right? It's always the same price. Yeah, indeed. Robbie, this is so valuable as a starting point. We have hit about seven pages of the book. There's 200 pages of strategy (laughs) and steps. I mean, you've really been gracious in how you put this together. Um, As you describe in the book, this is really the tactical how-to for the organizations that you know, aren't going to have you out for speaking or maybe be able to, to start on consulting. It is, it is a really great framework for thinking about this. And if you're an organization thinking about this right now, it's a wonderful starting point. So the book is The Forever Transaction, How to Build a Subscription Model So Compelling Your Customers Will Never Want to Leave. And in addition to the book, you have a wonderful resource for us online, Robbie, that folks can dive into for a little bit more. Would you tell us about where folks should go for that? Yeah, if you go to my website, which is RobbieKelmanBaxter.com, that's my name, RobbieKelmanBaxter.com slash audience, I have a couple of goodies for you. I have chapter eight of my book, which is about building a shared vision, managing emotions and changing culture in your organization to move toward what David I have been discussing. I also have the membership manifesto, which describes this massive trend, why it's happening and kind of makes the business case for it. And I have some slides that can give you some kind of visual processes to understand what we've been what we've been talking about today. So RobbieKelmanBaxter.com slash audience. Great. Thank you so much for that. We're going to have that in this week's episode notes. Also the weekly leadership guide coming on Wednesday. So be watching for that in your inbox. Robbie, leaders are always learning and growing. You have been going around teaching organizations how to do this better over the last five years. I'm really curious, in the last year or two, what have you changed your mind on? Well, when I I wrote my first book, uh, The Membership Economy, I really believed that an organization needed to commit wholeheartedly to membership economy model. The whole organization had to be focused on the long-term relationship, best customers, maybe subscription pricing, or it wasn't going to work because there was going to be conflict within the organization. And what I've found actually time and time again is that an organization can experiment with membership or subscription models off, I would say like off to the left, off to the side with a subset of the audience, maybe a subset of, of products to experiment and learn about subscriptions. And then they have the option to bring it back to the core of the business and say, let's let's double down on these ideas or to keep it operating as its own discrete entity. So, so I used to think it needed to be all or nothing. And now I'm seeing more and more evidence that these hybrid models can be really powerful. Robbie Kelman-Baxter, The Forever Transaction. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. If this conversation was useful to you, several related episodes also from the podcast that'll be helpful to you to dive in further. One of them is episode 430, How to Start Seeing Around Corners with Rita McGrath. It always seems like, uh, I shouldn't say always, but it often seems like when these big shifts happen in business and organizations and the economy, for example, moving to memberships and subscriptions, that that seems like it happens overnight. All of a sudden, everyone is doing it. And of course, that's not normally the case. Often, it is a trend that's been coming for a long time, as subscriptions and memberships have been. If you are looking in the right places, and the invitation that Rita McGrath made to us in episode 430 is start looking in the right places, and leaders can do a lot to begin to do what she calls seeing around corners 
to begin to see the future by asking the right questions, by doing the right thinking and taking the right steps tactically to begin to see some of those trends coming. I'd encourage you to check out episode 430 if you haven't before. I'd also recommend episode 470, How to Build an Invincible Company with Alex Osterwalder. He is the founder of Business Model Generation, and his most recent book really looks at this question of how to build an invincible company. It is, of course, a question on the minds of so many organizational leaders these days, whether you're a for-profit organization, whether you're a nonprofit, whether you're in academia, the principles are very similar of being able to think about things from not just what he would call exploitation of having an idea that you can then move on, the good, the good version of exploitation, not the bad version, but also exploration. How can you as an organization, you as an individual leader, help to surface the right ideas that will be the future of your organization? Episode 430 is a fantastic class in how to do that, some of the key steps. And then finally, I'd also recommend episode 476 with Steve Blank, How to Pivot Quickly. Steve and I discussed the lean startup philosophy and how you and your organization can really take a new idea and start small, begin with a minimum viable product or a minimum viable service in order to take the first steps to have conversation, to get feedback from folks that you're attempting to serve, and then to be able to use that feedback in a way that helps serve people better. And of course, if we're doing a better job serving people, then we are going to be more successful as an organization in reaching our vision following our mission, doing the just cause, like Simon Sinek says, whatever's important for our organization, we've decided we're doing in the world to make this world a better place. That is a great starting point for that episode 476. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. Just go over to coachingforleaders.com and set up your free membership. If you have not done that before, it's going to give you access to the entire episode library since 2011. More importantly, those searchable by topic. Uh, this episode's going to be filed under strategy and innovation. We've had many conversations on that over the years, including uh, marketing as well, too. You can find lots of past episodes there. Uh, just go over to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership. It's also going to give you access to my book highlights. Robbie's book's going to be included in there as well, as well as almost all of the books that I've uh, highlighted over the last few years of folks who have been on the show before. Find all of that online and the weekly leadership guide too. On this Saturday, I'm glad to welcome Michael Byrne to the show. He is one of our Academy members. He's going to be joining me for the Saturday cast. And then this coming Monday, David Hutchins is going to be back on the show teaching us how to tell stories during a time of uncertainty, a very timely topic for so many of us. He's an expert storyteller, is going to be teaching us some of the key tactics we can use as leaders. Join me that for that next week. Have a great week and see you on Monday. Take care, everyone.